Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this weekly program. Uh, each week we take some time uh, to look into God's Word and, uh, and try to understand what the Lord is teaching us through the Scriptures. But we make sure that we do this in the light of the entire uh, tradition, in other words, the entire deposit of faith that we've received, which is not Scripture alone, but within sacred tradition, within the teaching of the Church. We recognize that we interpret the Bible through the eyes of the teacher that the Lord gave us to interpret Scripture, and that's the Church. And uh, we'd love to hear from you if you're a listener and, and you don't quite understand that background or don't come from that background. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and let me give you those phone numbers. Uh, if you'd like to call us, it's 800-664-5110. Or anytime, you can call the Coming Home Network International, 740-450-1175. Or you can send me an email at marcus at deepinscripture.com. Each week I invite a guest to join me to share a, uh, about a scripture that awakened them to a deeper walk with Jesus Christ and his church. And our guest this week is a good friend, Rob Rogers, works with me here at the Coming Home Network International. He, uh, let me give you his bio, which is, you can read the entire bio up on the Deep in Scripture website. He was born into a Protestant home, but he abandoned Christ at a young age to lead an atheistic lifestyle. He attempted to find salvation in various religions, including Buddhism, New Age, even Kabbalism. While working in England, Rob continually struggled with addiction to drugs and alcohol. Then one day, by God's grace, he experienced the life-changing love of Jesus Christ. Nearly two and a half years later, Rob received, was received into the Roman Catholic Church on December 9th, 2000. Rob then, following the promptings of the Holy Spirit, decided to return home to Canada and subsequently joined NET, National Evangelization Team, a traveling Catholic youth ministry. And then once his nine-month commitment came to an end, Rob moved to Ohio to further discern his life with the woman who had stolen his heart. And on May 31st, 2003, he and Bernadette were happily married. Currently, Rob serves here at the Coming Home Network International as Director of Administration and um, he's a fourth degree knight and a member of Heartbeat Family Center, a pro-life ministry, street master for Catholic high school students in the area, and is active in adult, young adult, and youth ministry. Rob and his wife Bernadette live near us here in Ohio with their four children, patiently awaiting more gifts of life. And so uh, I welcome Rob. He's gonna join us in a moment, but I asked Rob uh, what verses he would choose, and he, again, verses that uh, maybe he never saw, or at least never quite understood, and he chose that we'd look at today two verses, one Old Testament, one New. The first comes from Sirach, chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, and then the second comes from 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. So let me read those to you, then we'll take a break, and then Rob will join us. First from Sirach, chapter 2. Accept whatever is brought upon you. And in changes that humble you, be patient. For gold is tested in the fire, and acceptable men in the furnace of humiliation. And then from the letters of Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. And to keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harness me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I besought the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. 
If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Gerdai's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Gerdai's book, Journey's Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Rob Rogers. Before I invite him on, I'm going to make him wait just a second more because I've got a couple things to remind you about. In case you don't realize it, you can connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Go to EWTN.com for more information. I also want to remind you that tomorrow on Catholic Answers Live with Patrick Coffin, it's a two-hour question-and-answer open forum with EWTN's own Vice President of Theology, and host of Open Line Friday, Colin Donovan, for the first hour, and then Catholic apologist Jimmy Aiken for the second hour. So be sure, sure to tune in tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Rob, welcome to the radio program. Thanks for having me down, Marcus. Normally, you're just down the hall while we do the radio program here in the studio. Quietly sitting upstairs, not to make any noise. <laughs> <laughs> glad to have you, you join us, Rob. And uh, just again, for the audience that... Uh, to let you know more about what Rob does. He's the, the Director of Administration here at Coming Home Network International. Takes care of a lot of the logistics for the staff and, and the running of this organization. He's also uh, it, it really in charge of all of our events, conferences, retreats Outreach. that we want to do, regional gathering. And in a sense, the background that you bring to Coming Home Network to run our conferences is a little bit a part of your journey, is it? Without a doubt, yeah. From hospitality management, it kind of flowed through, and it's neat to see fulfillment in that now and, and for God's glory. Was your experience working in hotels in England, maybe even the top-of-the-line hotels, was that a positive experience or maybe a negative influence to your journey? I think it was, it had a mixture of both. Obviously, there with the staff and clientele we were with, it was, it was interesting to be with the Starlights and the Hollywood Stars and royalty and whatnot at the Ritz, but then the other side is the staff that work in the hotels are really the same as at any other. We have the same mishmash of problems that seem to flow with a, an industry that flows high on stress and long hours. Well, we'll probably come back to this, but I mean, in a sense, the, the hotel environment can, might be considered amoral. In other words, it depends on what you do with it. And that's like all of life, where we are and the situations we are we need to be equipped by grace as well as the formation of our conscience to make good decisions in the temptations that are around us. Mm -hmm. So we can either survive or we can fail. And in the hotel management, you can either survive or fail. And a lot of it depends on your conscience, right, your strength choice. of will, right? And uh, as you mentioned in your bio, I mean, you struggled with at the time, not only with the Christian faith, uh, and being tempted into a lot of other lifestyles, including the addictions of, of drug and alcohol. Right. I mean, it's there. Um, and you can either buy into the idea that those addictions are nothing more than disease, you can't help yourself, or you can recognize it by God's grace. You can say no. Right, there's a way to recognize the sin that's involved in the, like you said, the acceptance of those choices made. And within all industries, you have a mixture of the people that, that do that and don't. You know, by God's grace, Barry Gendron, the security manager at the Ritz, was the one who befriended me and first introduced me to Jesus Christ and began to help go. me understand what I experienced almost a year ago when I encountered Christ in, in, in my own sense, but lost him because I was too selfish to, to mm -hmm. make that acceptance, whereas Barry helped me understand that night and guided my early steps down the road that, that brought me to the seat today. So Now, the, the verses you've chosen, one from Sirach and one from Second Corinthians, maybe first in general, were, were these a part of your journey or were these something that, that helped explain looking back? Looking back, once once Christ became something real to me in the Word, and, and I'd lie in the bed tonight and read, so often when, uh, from my testimony, I always say that I never really felt pain until I came to Christ. 
Mm-hmm. My my liver stopped working. The muscles in my back were rotting. I was dropping. I dropped sixty pounds in a, in a month and a half, through through bleeding and all my organs just shutting down from my addictions, and I was in this immense pain. But for some reason, I, I didn't understand the term offered up, but I felt I needed to do that. And as I began to read it, and I found the all these verses, the two that I picked out today, but there's so many others that give us reason to understand what suffering is. That when we unify it with Christ. There's a, there's a humility that comes, there's, there's an aspect of grace, the acceptance, and it made it easier for me. It made me truly understand that my yoke is light. When he said that, I thought, how is it when I'm in all this pain? And I realized the more that, that I fought my suffering, the worse it was. Once I began to accept it in light of the Word, and these verses helping me understand that, the suffering eased. It was still there, the, the pain was still there. I'm not saying it was magically taken away, but it became something more. It led me to him more. It caused me to... As Paul talks about that thorn, once I understood that thorn, I understand that Christ's grace was sufficient for me. I realized he was all I needed to get through this. And as long as I kept him close to me in my suffering, my suffering was had meaning. It, it, it allowed me to understand myself more, and it allowed me to look back at the reason I was suffering was because of poor choices. It wasn't that God was punishing me or I would, all these. It was because I chose poor decisions in my life prior to Christ, without a doubt. Yep. And by embracing them now, I get you, you get that almost that lift. He begins to carry us in that, and it gives us peace. Yeah, the, you know, one of the frustrating things when you look out um, uh, at the world around us and we see all the different I, don't, I hate to use the word counterfeit, but the different sects, mm-hmm. the different uh, truncations of Christianity, the different man-made versions of Christianity, the ones that are based around one individual's perspective mm-hmm. on it. Um, it's frustrating because there are people that have given their lives to these little different you know, channels of, right. of the Christian faith, which are uh, close but to use the phrase close but no cigar, I mean, mm-hmm. not the fullness of the faith. Well, the, maybe the one that most uh, frustrates me is the health and wealth gospels. Right. And the ones that say that a true Christian who truly believes has experienced the Holy Spirit um, and is following Christ would not suffer. True. Which to me is, the only way they could believe that is to throw out most of what Paul writes. Right. And I'm wondering, even just before we get into these passages, I mean, going back to your own conversion, would a health and wealth gospel have touched you? No, it would have led me further away because I would have, with all the struggles I had, all the pain, the, the lack, before Christ, I had life, if I want to call it that. Mm-hmm. I had a, an illusion of health, an illusion of all these things of physique. When I came to him, that was stripped away. So, in essence, all the, all the worldly aspects of image of health, I lost in those early years of my life with Christ. But losing them allowed me to start over, and that was the beauty of it. it was, I saw it as a rebirth in myself that I taught that, that I, I learned that humiliation, that humility that I, that I dearly lacked prior to Christ only came through my suffering. Had I not had that suffering, had it been a, a pro, uh, the health and wealth gospel that would have definitely pushed me aside, I yeah. never would have met him the way I do. You think a little bit of the suffering that hit you uh, was a little bit of that, the enemy trying to, to keep you from going all the way with your conversion? I think there could have been an aspect in there of, if we look at, I always look back to Job, his temptation, yeah. how Job, tempt, he was, Job was tempted that way, but Job gave everything back to God. And I yeah. realized early on my father would tell me about Job when I kind of realized that they did have a Christian background in them. And when I began to understand Job, I thought, how can I embrace what little suffering I have when this, the most righteous, the most wealthiest man in the land, lost everything. Mm-hmm. And I realized that if I was truly going to bless God, like I said, if Satan was trying to get in with me, I couldn't only bless him for the good. I had to bless him for what I deem the poor in myself. Then I was, I, was, I was blessing God wholly in my life. And that was the acceptance. And I think the accepting of those pains pushed the devil out of that aspect. That thorn remained, mm. but it wasn't as painful because it wasn't drawing me from Christ. It was... My suffering put me to him. It just led me deeper to life with Christ. Yeah, that that uh, image in uh, C.S. Lewis's Screwpick Letters, right after the 
underling demon has failed to keep the, the, the man from converting, one of the first things that the head demon encourages the underling demon to do was to encourage that new convert to Christianity to look out at other Christians and see the flaws. In other words, look at ways to discourage them. Are you really, you really believe this? I mean, come on, look at these people. Or in your case, look at, I mean, everything's just going from bad, from, from good to bad. Right. You know, you've obviously made a wrong decision. I mean, that's the, the temptations that are there in all of our lives. You know, do you really believe God? Look what's happening in your life. Come on, if God really loved you, He wouldn't let this happen to you. And those voices would have, were there, and thanks be to God, I didn't listen to them for once in my life. I knew what I'd found. You know, I knew it was, and even that was before I knew these, the Word. I just knew something was right. And when I found the Word, it only gave conviction to this internal conviction I already had after meeting Christ, mm -hmm. that this was right, that it didn't matter what other people said. And there were people in my own lives who looked at me and just had to question, what's, what's, what's wrong with you? You know, I was down to a two-degree radius left and right of my neck and uh -huh. in movement, and everyone was, was judging, they said, and looking upon me and what's going on, and someone here, I'm coming Christian and this and that. And it had to seem odd to them. Because, like you said, outwardly when they saw me, everything was being ripped away. Hmm. But inwardly, there was this life, this, the gold being refined inside, the Spirit of God being refined inside. The, the humility was finally being embraced I'd lost so long. And I learned to rely on someone other than myself. I learned to rely yeah. on Christ. Yeah, we're, we'll get to that later in the program. But after Paul writes 2 Corinthians, that passage, actually before that, he makes an enumerated list of all the suffering that he'd experienced. But then he would later say in Galatians, it's no longer I who live. It's mm. Christ who lives within me. And in a sense, it took all of that suffering probably to knock away Paul. Right. So that what was left was his unity with Jesus. And sometimes that's what it takes for us. And, and, I, and I'm saying that to you in the audience too. That sometimes we, we can be blind to how much we're holding on to ourself. Even those of us that are very active in our faith doing all the right things. Mm. Everybody looking at us thinks we've just got it together. But we might be blinded by how tight we're holding to ourselves. And so sometimes God's got to use, some people call it a two by four, other people right. call it a sledgehammer, some people call it a, you know, a, you know, what are those things called? That you, a jackhammer. A jackhammer. I mean, some <laughs> of us, you, you really got to get through the crust of our self-centeredness. The first verse you took, Sirach 2, mm -hmm. 4 through 6. Let me read that again and talk about this, Rob. Accept whatever is brought upon you, and in changes that humble you be patient. For gold is tested in the fire, and acceptable men in the furnace of humiliation. For me, first and foremost, I had to accept my addictions. I had to accept my life outside of Christ, the, the heinous acts I did against Christians in His church, things I did that, that were completely counter to the life that I was trying to live. And it was the acceptance of those, as, as the verse goes on, and it, we become changed, we become tested, is what gave me the strength. And that was my, that was my beginning ground, was that foundation was acceptance of, of not only those, the addictions, but the suffering that I went through, the pain that I would go through daily. It was either fight it or embrace it. And for the first time in my life, I realized I was always fighting things, and I had to choose the weak. I had to choose to embrace, and the great irony of that the weakness is the strength because when we, when I did finally accept and offered it up to God and realized that, Lord, I can't do it. I'm too weak on my own to, to combat all of that's in my life. The strength comes to us to do that. And that's where that, that seed of humility really began to set into my life was when I embraced that. And there's that joy that you think, oh, it, it's, it's so counter. I'm going to be weak, but I'm going to be strong. And you can't understand it before I came to Christ. I never would have understood that moment. But there's such truth in that, in, in such grace and, and healing comes to our lives through that acceptance that and when I found that in Sirach, it was almost like I had penned those words because I, there's no other way I could describe it. There was acceptance. It was so profound for me that when I accepted those, I had to become patient because I realized it was a long road to get to where I am now in health, and the patience was that great virtue to get me here. Yeah, the, the phrase in this passage... Um, both in 4 and in the parallel, verse 5, what's interesting when you look at that is that the author recognizes the passive aspect 
of the, the struggles that have come in their life. In other words, accept whatever is brought upon you and, and in, the change, in changes that humble you, be patient. I can envision people who go through problems saying, why me, Lord? You know, why are you doing this to me? And a, a person who's seeking to walk with Jesus, recognizing that that's the wrong question. Why not me? You know, in, in other words, um, who do we think we are? Uh, and so part of that is helping us attain that most precious virtue of humility. Mm -hmm. uh, if pride is the worst of sins, isn't it also true that humility would then maybe be the best of virtues? Give us the best of virtues to help us. And my spiritual director has, has, has long challenged me to really continue to look at this and the acceptance I had because if I don't fully embrace what I was before, if I don't love it, then I'm not loving what God loved. God loved me in all those things I was prior and all those things that I didn't want to accept. So by loving that person, by loving the things I did, not that I want to continue them, but just to love them for he was there, helps that acceptance become so much more for me. Mm -hmm. Let's take a break. Rob, when we come back, we'll look square at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. Welcome. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grody, your host with Rob Rogers, and you're hearing us on EWTN, Global Catholic Radio Network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled, Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you, too, will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody, joined today by Rob Rogers. Boy, I was welcoming them last time into the commercial, <laughs> you know, which is good. You know, that I happens. wanted to hear what uh, good things that are happening on EWTN. In fact, with that in mind, let me remind the audience that on Thursday, Life on the Rock with Doug Barry and Father Mark. This week, Doug and Father Mark speak with the infamous Father John Carapi, who, hey, he's going to be in Cincinnati this year. Next month. Next month. That's great. It's exciting. It's advertised everywhere. So mm -hmm. those of you in Ohio, if you can get to that big gathering, uh, tune in. Thursday night, Life on the Rock, tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, EWTN Television. And here, Father Crappie will probably talk about his big gathering there at Cincinnati. All right, let's look at this passage, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. You know, it's always a bit frustrating, Rob, when obviously on radio we can't look at all the context, but that is very important because uh, in, in this context of Corinth, by the time this letter is written, um, Paul is being criticized by, quote, the super apostles, end quote. And that's a bit like today, if you could imagine a local priest or bishop and then some self-acclaimed teachers come along who are maybe a bit more charismatic mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and, and seem to overshadow the local priest or bishop and they belittle the priest or the bishop and try and lure people away. And that was happening in Corinth. Right. And so Paul is boasting a bit. He's tongue-in-cheek boasting. Often he'll say, no, just remember here, I'm just doing this tongue-in-cheek. He's kind of says it that way. But he gets to this passage in chapter 12. And let me read it. Uh, and to keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a message of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I besought the Lord about this, that it should leave me. 
But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now this passage, those of you that have the scriptures in front of you, you want to jump back about a fist length to paragraph 11 because he he's talking about these super apostles that are boasting about how much better they are than Paul and how weak he is. And Paul goes through a list of things. He says, now I'm speaking as a fool here, he says. In other words, he's... Uh, He's joking a little bit, and he's making fun of himself a little bit, but yet he's also taking the chance to say, listen, guys, they've got brag about, listen what I have to brag about. And he makes this list. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Well, hey, I'm a better one. And, he says, and then he says in quote, I'm talking like a madman, guys, remember? And he says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I have been shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? I mean, there's Paul's litany of what he experienced because he came to Jesus. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you could imagine the, the, the devil trying to say, man, do you really want to do this? I mean, the stuff he went through is far... I mean, the only thing on that list that I can recognize that you went through is that I think you said you were once stoned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess Paul and I have that in common. I think his was in a, a different, different light. <laughs> That's right. You, you went through that difficult period of your own life. But, but would you say there was, though, in your own life, a parallel to some of the stuff you went through? Definitely. We could, I, we could, we could point to those and, and, and find them and... I think the danger of them, and the beauty that Paul is doing it, how he starts it as a fool, he's showing they're not things to boast about. We shouldn't yeah. boast about our antics prior to Christ, which is sometimes easy to do. We, we can, and I think he says that because sometimes we can almost glorify that life so much that I found it in my own life in witness I'm careful because some of the young men I'll speak with are like, well, look, you did all those things. I can do those and then come to Christ later on in life. Yeah, Whereas, we're, we're remembered of that famous passage that's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where after Jesus has spoken really what it means in the new law to follow, he makes that uh, very important station, uh, statement when it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father. And then he says that people will come and say, hey, we did all these things. You know, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons, we do mighty works in your name. You could add to that list. Right all the things we do, or all the things that were done to us, Jesus, because we followed you. And he says, but did I know you? Right. And that's the important fact, I think, that, that Paul draws us into, into context with the fool, that we, can, we have to be careful with that thorn that I know that we all have our own thorns. Yeah, let's, let's talk about this thorn, because it, all the things he lists, that's not the thorn. Right. In that list is not the thing he's talking about. Um, in fact, let's talk about that thorn. When I was a pastor, I used to jokingly say in all the churches I pastored that there were members of the thorns in the side societies. <laughs> in other words, there was always somebody in that church who would attend annual meetings of people who would gather to figure out what can they do to make life difficult for the pastor. And jokingly would say they're members of the thorn. And, the thorn and they, of course, obviously that's not true, but they thought they were doing what was good for the church and, right. and there was that battle. What, what did Paul mean by thorn in the flesh? At least to the best of our ability can we figure out. And then how does that connect with your own life? There's many things I've always been told about Paul. It could have been a, a physical 
the firmer he had something that, that it caused him a great thorn that wouldn't be gone. For me, personally, where I see my understanding of, of his thorn, how it relates to my own life, I always said I don't want to, to know how Paul's was, when I relate especially to how he kept asking for it to go. And I think of how many things in my own life I asked to leave and they wouldn't leave, they wouldn't get away from me. My struggles, my addictions, things like that, where they, they would always pull me back or the pains in my back. But I realized that they remain with us, to re, they're a reminder of yeah. what we were, but it's like that key word he has in there, the humility that comes from it. Mm-hmm. And how you said earlier, if, if pride is the worst of the, of, of the sins and is, is humility the greatest of the virtues, the thorn brings about humility in our lives. It, it allows him to, to speak as he does and to boast as a fool, as he puts it, because he has that such profound sense of humility because he knows his thorn intimately, as we all know, our thorn to us, or as being a pastor, the, the, the thorns in the parish that are there. But our thorns are something good. God gives them to us to keep us straight and narrow. I think it keeps us aware it reminds me of, of everything I was, yet more importantly, everything I'm trying to become. Uh, often when we see that thorn, that the idea of thorn, of course, the, the visual image is something that's bad. You know, you, you, the, you've got a beautiful rose and right underneath it is a, a fistful of thorns mm-hmm. or like on my farm, uh, the, the, the evidence that I'm the worst farmer that ever lived is that our primary crop is wild raspberries, <laughs> which are brambles. It, it, they're just pickers everywhere. Those are thorns. So to get to the good fruit, you've got to go through the pickers. So when we read this, we assume that it was something that was bad. Right. But you know, talk about this. I mean, a thorn can be a woman's beauty hmm. or a man's handsomeness or a man's confidence. True. Those can be his thorn. How can they be the thorns if they're absolutely great gifts? If they're used in the wrong light, if, if, if our, our great looks turn us to, to being conceited, to being too proud of ourselves, they can take us away from God. So you're right, a good thing can. I know Bernadette, my wife will always say that I'm eternal optimist. You know, the, my glass is, is always at that half full. There's still, it's, it's coming back up again. And my thorn, my thorns up, I want to put it that way in honesty, are always good. They're, they maybe seem negative to others, but to me they're a good thing. And, and not that it's the, the good looks, though I may think so. It's the, the good looks could just be just as bad as it will lead you from God because it look, makes you look at yourself too much. But if you take it as a thorn and realize the, the prick that God's trying to give you, your good looks are a moment of humility and a moment to accept a gift that He's given you. Yeah, that, yeah again, that aspect of thorn, it's, it's a good point you make there, is that if, if it wasn't a thorn, if it was just a you know, a bud, you know, like you take it again, the plant thing, a little soft little bud, ah, you get used to it, mm. you know, big deal. So you, in other words, then you don't, you're not aware that this is something you've got to continually deal with, whereas a thorn reminds you. So let's say your thorn in the flesh is that you're great looking, woman or man. Let's say God has blessed you with uh, just perfect appearance perfect figure. You walk down the street and every eye turns. That needs to be a thorn. Mm -hmm. You want it to be a thorn. Otherwise, if it was just a soft bud, take that imagery, you can forget how you are to imitate Jesus and not spend the rest of your life, uh, you know, uh, taking advantage of the gift that God gave you, not for yourself, but for others. Right, going to be egotistical. And, and that's what reminds us just our, like in all of our gifts. They have to be given to God. We need to see our, our, all of our gifts as a thorn in a sense. If not, like you said, we can take them away from Him. And what, he gives, what He's given to our lives that is good can become a negative to us. Our intelligence can lead us to pride, to becoming egotistical. Again, that will take us from God. Our intelligence should lead us to humility, pulling us back to God as long as we see it as a thorn. Now, what about negative thorns? I mean, what about the things in our life that aren't just positive that we need to use correctly? But what about the negative thorns? I mean, if it, let's say it was, a, a, it could have been a speech impediment right. for him. It could have been a physical problem. Well, if God loves us and promises, as Jesus said, anything you ask in my name, I will give you that. He says it a half dozen times. Right. Well, why doesn't God take it away? I always look back to Job when it got to the point he lost everything and his wife turned to him. 
Instead, curse God and die. And here's a man that was a, a great friend of God. And he knew that if I can't bless him in the good and the bad, the bad is only bad the way we perceive it. I may look, someone else may look at my life and look at my, my back and my posture and think, oh, that's horrible, that's bad. I think it's good. It keeps me humble. And again, it may be that I'm an optimist, but it's I look at all things in the light of what God's given to me. They're for a reason that he's given them. Then we, we can turn things to bad so quickly without realizing the good that's in them. Quite possibly, if, if I had the physique now that I had before I came to Christ, maybe I'd still be a, the village idiot that my grade 10 teacher once called me <laughs> and doing foolish things. I'd go out and hurt myself, and now I have a family that, that relies on me. So having the, the position I'm in now is a benefit not only to me but to them and to God that it keeps me rooted in Him. I know you still suffer from some of the physical uh, remainders of your mm-hmm. days playing rugby and whatever right. else you did crazy. And you know, you might say, Lord, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I've surrendered to you. I've got your faith. I trust in you. You have the power to, to heal. I see it in Scripture. Why can't you take even these effects away from me? Right, and, and, and there's part of me that wishes he would. But then I realize if I don't, I'm not embracing who he's made me to be. And again, it boils back to acceptance. And at the end of each day, and then of each, in the in the beginning of each day, I accept that. I know I am how God made me to be. My wife and other people always ask, you know, if there's something you can change in your life from the past, what would you change that you did? And I always say nothing, because if I changed any of that, then that's me saying, God, I know better than you what I need in my life. For some reason, whatever it may be, I need to be the way I am. Yeah. I need to have the, the shoulder that need to be to replace it as a problem. It's the knee the way it is, the back, those things I need. Why? I don't know. But I look at it, it's not for me to know because His grace is sufficient. Thereby those things are for His glory as long as I give them to Him. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago when, when you jumped off a rock and, <laughs> and uh, as you left that rock and were coming down in the air, you thought life was beautiful. Mm. And then when you... You were landing in the water. You didn't know there was a rock under one no, part of I that didn't. water. And so one half of you, your one leg hits a rock, right? And yeah. you broke a... I shattered my femur. Shattered your femur. I mean, it was air flighted to Columbus, so... Yeah, I mean, that took a long, about a half a year more, right? Mm-hmm. But even in that moment, I will still say that was one of the best things that happened to me. <laughs> and and people, and even you'll laugh, other people have laughed, and, and they said, why? I said, well, in doing that, my back got better. You know, I, I'm one of those kids with the hard knocks. I need the jackhammer. I needed a leg broken to help this area in my life. But at the same time, it made me laugh and look at my stupid things that I'll still do and reminded me that, that even in that moment when my leg broke, it, it could have been worse. I could have over-rotated and, and my spine could have landed on the rock and I could have been paralyzed. And, and there's another side of it. Yeah. My other brothers and sister, uh, in-laws were jumping. What if one of the younger ones had happened to them? Yeah. It's probably better it happened to me for whatever yeah. reason, God wanted, I was the one that happened, no yeah, one else jumped. If you'd have missed, missed that rock by a, an inch, mm-hmm. then the next person would have followed you in. Right, and quite possibly they would have hit it, and it could have been my little sister-in-law, brother-in-law, it could have been friends, it could have been someone else who's there. Right. So, you know, for me, it's I kind of laugh it off, and I'm able to, whatever the reason my spiritual division disposition is, for whatever reason it is, I can embrace those things and grow from them. Yeah, I want to push that even a little farther, because I... There's all kinds of statements in Scripture, gospel and epistles, all through Scripture, but let's just look at the New Testament, that are calling us to turn to Jesus, Mm. to surrender to Christ uh, in all areas of our life. And none of them are contingent on whether we're healthy um, or whether we get along with somebody. We're we're to love them. It's not based, in other words, on the the quality of the relationship. We're to love them. Even love our enemies, Jesus said. Um, and they're not based on whether we're, again, healthy, whether our body's working well. So the point is that if we focus on Lord taking away these infirmities, we can become distracted hmm. from that which we really are to focus on, which is loving our, our Lord God and loving our neighbor as ourselves, Loving one another as Christ loved me. As opposed to becoming so inward focused on, Lord, please take this away. And it, that's essentially what God kept trying to tell Paul, right? He did. And it's like you said, it's, it goes back to the, as you started, the why me, the why me, the why me. If all we're saying is why me, like I said, we're just we're pointing at ourselves. We're missing the greatest prize, which is Christ before us. 
and it's such a good point that if we're too worried, and that could be Satan's way of getting back in quite possibly, if, if all we do is inward focus and internalize all of the, the sufferings and focus only on the thorn as something hurting us, we're missing that greater picture. We miss that at the end of that line when right away Paul turns that my grace is sufficient, that we need to look through it. Through it, we can find Christ. Through breaking my leg, I found a better relationship with him. I was in bed for a while and was able to read more. You know, you with your back in the early years, same thing. Yep, yep. It gave you time to, to discern and find your road to the coming home network. That all of these things that happen, I think if we take that thorn, and I always look at thorns because they're almost shaped like a telescope. We look mm -hmm. back through them to Christ. Yep. It's the small end going into us, the big end sticking out. And mm -hmm. if we look through that, Christ is there waiting for us. Yeah, the, I have in front of me a computer, and in the midst of that, is uh, software that's built on a bazillion lines of code. Hmm. And almost all the lines of code are what are called if-then statements. If this, then this. If yes, then this. If no, then this. And it just that's the whole logic behind, basic logic behind computer programming. Well, one of the flaws in our own thinking is if only this, then. Hmm. If only this, then. Looking back, if only I hadn't, then. Or looking forward, if only this Lord then. And the flaw in that, right? That's what Paul was saying. He was, he was essentially saying, Lord, if you only took this away, then I might be a better apostle. If you only took this away, I might be a better speaker. If, if you only took this temptation away, I might be a holy man. And the Lord looks at us and says, that's not, you know, that's not the necessity. That's not the necessity. Called to be holy. Called to speak. Called to be a witness. Right. We're called to be as he made us. And I think every time that we try to remove those things, we lose that part in Sirach of the acceptance. Because that acceptance, once we accept, we stop saying the if, the if, the what if, what if this is gone, what if I could be this way. And we all fall prone to it. I fall prone to it in times of, yeah. oh, of yeah. toils and, and, and sometimes hear myself crying out that way. And a lot of times I'll begin to laugh because something minor will happen that reminds me of how much I love Christ, of how much I love He who suffered so much for my life. And I can't put up with a stiff back or you know a bum shoulder or a bum knee why can't I put up with those things when he put up with more than any of us can ever imagine and I always go back to Sirach and remember remind myself of that acceptance that's needed so profoundly for me to know my my humility we're gonna take a break and when we come back Rob I want to draw your attention maybe to close um, this you know, from some verses that are in Philippians 4 uh, verse 11, not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Verse 13, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grote. I am joined today by Rob Rogers, and you're hearing this on EWTN, the Global Catholic Radio Network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.com. Dot org or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. The Coming Home Network International and Marcus Grodi invite you to join us for our 8th Annual Deep in History Conference coming this fall to Columbus, Ohio. This year our focus will be on the authenticity of the sacred scriptures as we ask, How firm is your foundation? Join us the weekend of October 22nd as we bring together another exciting list of guest speakers. For more information, go to deepinhistory.com or call us at 800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, joined today by Rob Rogers. 
want to remind you that next Monday on the Journey Home program on EWTN, our guest will be Father Brian Harrison. He's a former Presbyterian pastor. He's got a great background. He, before he became Catholic, he was uh, serving as a, a missionary teacher in New Guinea back when it was still the last untouched uh, region in the world. He was working with people that had just been discovered within his lifetime. So that's Monday night, Journey Home program on EWTN, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. All right, Rob, let me read you those verses again, and then if you would, just talk about them and bringing this thing in a summary. This is Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, 13, and 19. Not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Verse 13, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. And then verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I think it's funny we take that 11 right off the bat. Not that I complain. It's what we talked about, the, the whining of the me. Why me? Why me, God? Why do I suffer? We're not to complain. We're supposed to be content with what we've learned from him, as Paul says. And he goes on, in, when he went down to 13, to talk more about all things are with him. I think that parallels track for, for me back to my grace is sufficient. Yeah. That all we need is him. That all things through Christ are possible. But for that to be... We have to remember 11, we can't be complaining. We can't be holding back because if we're holding back those aspects of our lives that we don't like, we're not giving ourselves completely to God. If we're not giving ourselves fully to God in, in their human sense, then we're missing it on those graces from His life. And when we come to where He left us in 19, and then my God will supply everything we need. What more do I need in life than what God gives? It's so easy for us to sit here and say, God, my life should be this way, this way, this way, and this way, and I'd be a better person. But we wouldn't be. That's us saying we know more than Him. We are the people that we are because He's made us the way we are. We are the best. We have the ability to be the best person we can be out of His love and creation for us. For us to want to be anything more, or we should always want to be more, for us to be anything different or less than what we have is putting ourselves outside of His grace and His will for our lives. And I, just to point out a, a couple more things in those, Rob, those verses that I didn't see in these verses back when I was a Protestant pastor. And that is, and I just, I want to make sure we get this before we close our program, and that is that the context of the early church, though it may not always be clear in only the written word, but in the wider context of all the New Testament documents, the writings of the church fathers, as well as the oral tradition that later will be formalized. We'll see that in the councils. It's very clear that already at the time Paul's writing, he's recognizing the power of the mysteries of the sacraments. Mm. And so the way we are in Christ is not merely because I love Jesus and I know he's with me, but it's because through the church, by baptism, we have become united. Right. We, are, we are children. We are part of the body of Christ, and we have the graces so it isn't merely that I can do all things because I love Jesus. Right. It's because I am in Him. And I know yourself in becoming Catholic, that that was a big part of the healing that you experienced well, for your that, life. Uh, my experience of my first Holy Communion, of receiving the blood, Lord, body, body blood, soul, and divinity was, was monstrous. It, it, the, my first confession prior to that, I remember I truly understood the idea of the millstone off the neck. It was in South Pimlico in London. I remember walking around the parish saying a rosary for my penance before, before, that, before my, first com my confirmation mass and how light I felt for the first time in my life. And it was because of that sacrament of reconciliation, later leading to receiving those graces and confirmation and my personal climax of entering into the relationship that we as Catholics share so intimately with Christ through the Holy Eucharist was, was that true summit. As, as John Paul would say, the source and summit of our faith, it drew me in and gave me the strength and graces I need it to go on. Another thing that I want to point out, which audience, you and, and Rob and I, there's a, an aspect, of course, that we are in this together. Before Paul wrote this in Ephesians, Philippians 4, in Philippians 3, he said clearly, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on. Hmm. In verse 11, he says, not that I complain of want, for I have learned. I have learned. In other words, Rob, the day you accepted Jesus, you weren't healed. No. The day you accepted Jesus, the day you came into the church fully and received the sacraments, all of a sudden 
even the, the, the mental struggles were not gone. It's a journey. Right. And there, there was an aspect of healing, but was it completely taken away? No, but I was given the grace I needed to combat them for His glory. And again, that goes back to His grace was sufficient for me that they didn't have to be completely taken away. I was healed in the sense that I needed to be healed. There was, so there was a healing, though that there was still a residue or, to, or some aspect left of it. He gave me, Christ gave me what I needed to face my struggles, to face my thorns for His glory. So the healing is there. It just may not be the healing that we all want all the time. We may want complete redemption to be able to do all these great things again. But His healing is there if we're willing to look for it. Yeah, you know, the old phrase of one step forward, two steps back. Well, by grace and the sacraments, they empower us. Though it's not magic, we have to align our will. We have to make better choices as we form our will. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the grace has empowered you, Rob, to turn away from some of the things that you had given your life right. to. But it doesn't mean that the temptations were gone. No, the old demons and thoughts are still there. It's just, what do I do with them? Well, do I listen to my old ways or do I listen to the ways that have sustained and given me life? To me, it's black and white. Only one makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense only to listen to Christ, only to walk the best road I can of righteousness, that one is sin and one is grace. Yeah. And it's a simple choice. Where do, what road do I want my feet on? And I know that now. And the learning aspect that Paul refers to is that by grace, through fasting, through saying no or yes, depending on the situation, uh, our, our soul is strengthened. Our spiritual muscles are strengthened so that we become stronger in saying no to temptation through the graces. But there's always the partnership, right? The grace and, and our will. Now, the minute we think I've arrived, John warns us, right? The minute you say you're without sin, you're alive. Hmm. So true. So we, we always need to uh, remember the thorns there as a reminder that it's to God we owe the glory. And press on as Paul tells us to. All right, Rob, thanks for joining us on, on this radio program. I'm glad you tried to travel a long way, but you made it all right. I can get back up the stairs, I think. All right, thanks, Rob. <laughs> and thank you for joining us on this program. I hope it's an encouragement to you. I want to remind you, if you go to deepinscripture.com, you can find out about this program. You can watch it live. All the archive programs are there. We'd love to hear from you. Again, the email address is marcus at deepinscripture.com. Uh, again, we'd love to hear from you. Is this program an encouragement to you? Are there ways that it can be a more encouragement? Our goal in this program is to help you ourselves grow more in union with Jesus Christ, our Lord. God bless you. See you next week.